You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Good to see each and every one of you. We're going to get started here in just a moment, but before we do, I want you to stand up, find somebody around you, introduce yourself, and we'll continue. All right, well, hopefully you had time to say hello to a few folks. We're going to get started here. Again, we welcome you to Cypher Christian Church. My name's Kevin Gallimore, one of the pastors here, and we're so grateful to come together with you guys in worship this morning. Uh, A couple of announcements that I want to highlight. You hopefully got a bulletin on your way in. But I want to direct your attention to one thing in particular, and that is the Fall Fest. It's happening next week, October 28th. It's going to be at 4 p.m. And I really want to encourage you guys to invite your friends and neighbors to this event. That's why we're doing this. This is, a, this is not an event necessarily for us inside this room. This is an event for our community. And so we want you to take that. You probably have an insert or you've seen that invitation, that invite card. Um, it's got all the information about the event. We're going to have a uh, petting zoo, face painting, cotton candy, inflatables for the kids. Uh, we're going to have uh, free food. We're going to have some live music. It's going to be a fantastic event. There's going to be something for everyone, including a chili cook-off. We've got some teams talking some serious trash already. The gauntlet's been throw- thrown down. And so it's going to be a great event, and it's free. So please, please, please take that card and, and, and give it to a coworker. Put it, you know, in your na- on your neighbor's doorstep, and and or give it to them. You can also share it on Facebook. We have an event created on our Cypher Christian Church Facebook page. Share that event on your page and invite your friends to come out to that. The more we get out the word, the better. It's going to be October twenty eighth at four p.m. And the other thing uh, I just want to mention today is we've got a new members class going on right now. Dale Smith is leading that as we speak. That's why he's not in here with us. And uh, so if you're interested in becoming a member of CFCC, I really want to encourage you to take that step. It's a really fun class. Dale always makes it a good time. And, um, and if you're interested in joining, uh, you can contact the church office Facebook, email, whatever, however you would like to get a hold of us, and we can let you know when the next one is. Uh, Again, we're just so grateful that you're here worshiping with us this morning. Would you stand as we begin our service with prayer? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we prepare our hearts this morning for worship. As we come before you, Lord, a holy God, full of righteousness and and justice, and majesty, full of infinite love, and grace, and mercy. Lord, just give us a vision today that's just grander than what we've had in mind of you all of our lives. Give us a vision of your glory here today. As we sing these songs, we pray that they're vehicles of praise. We pray that that you are lifted up above all things here today. And as we come together after being sort of independent and isolated from one another as we come together as the body of Christ here today, that something powerful happens, that your Holy Spirit moves in our hearts as we proclaim Jesus, as we declare the truth of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would do something in our hearts, Father. We believe, Lord, that you are here and that we anticipate your move in our lives. Would you do so? God, as we pray together, 
declare the gospel. We, as a people, pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning. How thankful are we for what an awesome praise and worship team we have, right? And the, and the beautiful weather this morning. So this is the time when, uh, at least around my house, we start thinking about some projects, things that need to be done that I didn't want to do when it was 100 degrees outside. Um, and so sometimes I'll take on some little projects, some in-the-house projects, some plumbing project that I think, you know, there's a faucet leaking or or the toilet's running and you got to jiggle the handle. And I think, okay, I can do this, right? This, surely this isn't too big a project. Three trips to Lowe's later, <laughs> uh, parts all over the floor. I think, you know what? Maybe this is better left to a professional, right? Well, that's sort of what happened to me this week with the scripture for our offering meditation. Um, Jeff's going to speak to us today about a difficult story, uh, at least it was difficult for me, about Ananias and Sapphira. And I looked at it, and I thought, okay, I, I get this. And then I, three trips to the scriptures later, I'm like, I think this is better left to a professional. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to hearing about Uh, what Jeff has to share with us. So I went back to sort of a tried and true scripture that I was familiar with uh, in 2 Corinthians that says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's my prayer this morning, that we would be uh, honest uh, about our how we share our time and our talent and our resources. So would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for letting us be a part of this community. And we would pray that uh, you would help us be honest and realistic and comfortable with how we share our time and our talents and our resources. God, we want to be honest with you and honest with ourselves. And that's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. Again, welcome to Cypher Christian Church. Good to see all of you guys here this morning. Uh, we're going to be finishing up Acts chapter 4 today, and we're going to beginning and we're going to start Acts chapter 5. So if you have a copy of Scripture, uh, go ahead and start turning to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, uh, there's Bibles in the little pockets there on the, the row in front of you. We'll have the words up on the screen. Uh, Christy and my friend Logan are going to have the words up on the screen for us this morning. So as you turn there, I have, to, I have to make a confession. We'll just start off with confession today. I always feel like I make a confession. When I prepare for a sermon, here's how it works. I go to the Lanier Library on Tuesday. I sit at a little table, put my headphones in. I listen to Cecilia Bartoli every time. You guys know who this is? The opera singer kind of calms me. Uh, So I listen to Cecilia, uh, and I read the scripture over and over and over and over and over and over, and I take notes, and I outline it, I rewrite some of the verses that I feel like are really important in my own words, and I spend a lot of time just reading the scripture. 
Uh, and then I'll go get commentaries and I'll go look and see what other people said about certain things and I'll kind of draw some ideas. And by the time I leave the library on Tuesday, I know what I want to talk about the following Sunday. And then the rest of the week, I'll just kind of put it together. And without fail, after Tuesday, after I spent a lot of time in the scripture, I'll have a conversation with somebody and they'll say something and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Thank you for saying that because I'm going to use that on Sunday. I'm going to use you on Sunday uh, in my sermon. And then by the time the weekend gets there, I'm, I'm ready to go and I have an outline and I'm excited. This week, uh, there is kind of a tough story in, in the scripture that we're going to read. And I did all the things that I usually do, but even up until last night and then once this morning, I was taking all the pieces of the things that I want to share with you and I was rearranging them trying to figure out exactly what order to make this flow. Uh, So it's a little bit chaotic. So I'm going to tell you that ahead of time. We're going to do a couple things out of order, but I feel like if I tell you that, maybe it'll be easier to follow. So what we're going to do this morning, this is what's going to happen. Uh, We're going to read uh, Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32, and we're going to read all the way through Acts chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to read it together. I'm going to read it out loud, and then then I'm going to pray. And then we're actually going to look at the part from Acts chapter 5 first, because it's difficult. Like, it's a really dark story. Uh, It's not an easy thing to wrestle with, and I appreciate what Ira said, that he was going to leave it to a professional. Hopefully someday we'll have a professional here that can kind of help us sort through that. Uh, In the meantime, it's me. So I just didn't want to end with what's in chapter 5, right? It's really, really dark, and it's morbid, and it's confusing, uh, and I still wrestle with why this happened, right? Why is this, why is this a part of the story? Uh, why is this in scripture? Uh, so it's tough. We'll, we'll walk through chapter five. We'll point out a couple things in that. Then we'll go back and look at chapter four, the part in chapter four. Uh, then I'm gonna leave you with three words that I want you to think about this week. Three words that I want to be kind of bouncing around inside your head for you to continue to, to consider. Uh, and then we'll take communion together. Make sense? All right, so flip-flopped. It's going to be a little bit reversed. Uh, so if you fall asleep and wake up um, and we've moved backwards, that's okay. That, that was supposed to happen. So Acts chapter 4, verse 32. If you're ready, here we go. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed as each had need. So right here, right off the bat, we see that the Holy Spirit is at work, and he's, he's giving the people in this church community, this story is about the church community, not about like the big picture of this area of the world. This is specifically the church community. The Holy Spirit is moving in this church community and giving them a new and radical attitude towards possession and sacrificial giving. And then Luke records two examples of this. The first one is Barnabas and the second is Ananias and Sapphira. So the first example Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, and just to be clear, this is a different Cyprus, 
right? He did not graduate from Cypher High School or Cy Creek High School. Like, you need a boat to get to the Cyprus. It's far off, different place. But he's a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. In chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said... Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you've lied to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard of it which makes sense, right? The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Like, tell me, did you sell the land for 30,000? And she said, yes, 30,000. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out too. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning asking you to shine your light in our lives. Shine your light in our hearts. And Father, we ask that the story, this story of the early church, which you inspired, which you guided Luke to write, to record, will teach us and encourage us as we read it today. And Father, may we be open to your voice and to your correction. Father, may we feel your love and your presence, for we know that you are with us here this morning. Speak to us, Lord, for we are here listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go back to Acts 5, verse 1, and we'll start there. This story is dark, right? There's these two people that that tell a lie. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, we all have, right? And it doesn't seem like a huge lie because they were giving money, but they held a little bit back, a lot back. We don't know how much they held back. And God struck them both dead when they were were called out. Very difficult. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, and like, like Ira said earlier, the first time I read this story, actually, I was in college, and I had just started reading the New Testament. I was going through the whole New Testament. Actually, I was right out of college, and I had gone back to visit, and I was staying in the dorm because my friends and I were goofing around. But when I went to bed in the dorm that night, this is, this is the chapter that I was reading, and I remember reading this, and all of my friends were ministry majors, and I wasn't because I was a total heathen, but... Uh, I read this, and I remember going, really? <laughs> oh my gosh. 
you've got to be kidding me. So I was asking them questions, and nobody wanted to talk about it. Like, we don't really talk about that because you can't explain it. I'm like, somebody's got to be able to explain this. Like, this seems like the story escalates really, really fast. Like, people are giving money, and they had everything in common. Bam, bam, two people are dead, right? So as I looked at it this week, um, I kind of looked up some of the, the stuff in, in the Greek language, trying to figure out, like, is there, like, a nuance here that explains it where I would be like, oh, now it all makes sense. Totally, this is not a big deal. Here's what happened. And I didn't find that because it's not there at all. But when it says, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, the word that, that we translate as kept back uh, can mean misappropriated, kind of like embezzled. And in some occasions, rarely, it's, it's basically the word steal. Right? So you kind of get the sense that there's, there's something devious going on here with what he's doing. He's doing something knowingly uh, that is wrong, right? So we know that Ananias is aware that what he's doing is incorrect. He didn't just say, hey, I'm gonna keep some of this myself, but I'll give the rest, because that doesn't sound terrible, right? But he knew something was going on. This was misappropriated funds. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? How did Peter know? Like Peter knew right away that something was going on here. And the only way that Peter would know is the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, we assume, is revealing this uh, to Peter. So Peter continues. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart You've not lied to man, but to God. So Ananias was under absolutely no obligation to give any of this money. Just because he sold the property doesn't mean that he has to bring all the proceeds to Peter. And nowhere does it say that he has to, if he decides to give some, he has to give all of it. Nowhere is that said. So what was he doing? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. So here's what we know about Ananias. For some reason, he kept some of it back, right? Uh, Maybe he didn't trust God. Maybe it was a greed situation. Was he planning to do something illegal with the money? Um, You can find in, in books and in commentaries all kinds of ideas of what people think that maybe he was doing. And they go down these, these roads and they, they kind of play out the story. Obviously, he was doing this or we think he was doing that. But all of it is speculation. None of it is in scripture. What, what Luke wrote is all that God felt like we needed to hear. This was enough, right? So we don't need to speculate. We just know, for some reason, he kept it back. And that he didn't disclose this to Peter, right? He was dishonest. It wasn't, it wasn't that he that he was, he was holding some of it back, it was, that, it was that he lied about it, right? He acted as though, he came forward and acted as though this is everything, right? So would it have been different if he had went in and said, hey, I sold some property, I'm gonna give 50% to you guys. Would that have been different? Maybe, because he's honest. Like he's being transparent, he's being open. And Peter already said, that was your money, 
So there's something about the dishonesty and kind of the front that he's putting up that he's doing what everybody else is doing and he's giving all of it. Something's going on there. He didn't die because he kept some, but because he was, he was dishonest, he lied. And something about that was worthy of death. In verse seven, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And this next sentence, if you imagine being somebody standing outside the tent hearing this, or maybe somebody in the room when this happened, like I imagine my whole body goes cold and I get chills hearing this. Peter says, behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband, there's the first shock, your husband's dead, are at the door and they'll carry you out too. Right? That's powerful. Like that's a scene out of a movie and you can't write a more powerful line than that right there. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And this is the understatement of all understatements. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Right? You know they talked about this for a long, long time. So here's what we know about Sapphira. Not very much. We know that she lied and that she died. And that's it. She was a part of what was going on. And she came in and it sounds like Peter was giving her an out. Like, is this actually what you sold the property for? And then she lied. She was in on this. Yeah. No, it's not. And then she's dead. Right? So great fear comes upon the church. As crazy as this story is, Uh, This isn't the first time something like this has happened. If any of you have a pen and paper and are taking notes, first of all, good luck with that this morning. Uh, But if you have a pen and a piece of paper, I want you guys to write this down. Joshua 7, verses 10 to 26. Joshua 7, verses 10 to 26. There's a story that's very similar uh, that you'll find in the Old Testament about someone named uh, Achan who uh, hid something under the, the rug in his tent. And because of it, he got called out. Like God revealed this to somebody. He got called out and he was stoned to death, right? Which means something different in today's world. We're not talking Colorado, Washington, stoned to death. Like they threw rocks at him until he was dead. And scripture says that they threw so many that they just left the giant pile of rocks on top of him and walked away. That was his tomb, right? A very similar story. So as I read this, uh, I have to confess that, that again, I read the story, it seems so over the top, and I'm like, really? I, I've caught myself thinking, that's, that's totally not fair. Like, aren't there things that, that, like, the apostles did that were worse than that? Right? And I start trying to figure out in my head, um, is this actually just? And I'm not the only one that struggles with that. There's a lot of people, you can refine books, that um, they say, actually, this is just a legend. This part didn't really happen, right? And you'll find in scripture, there's poetry, there's allegory, there's all kinds of literary devices we'll see. Acts is none of those things. Acts, from start to finish, is the story, the narrative, the account of the early church. These things happen. This is real, right? So we can't get, we can't get away with saying, well, that probably didn't happen exactly like that. It did, Right? 
And one thing that I think we can learn from this, there's a lot of things we can learn from this, but one thing that is a, that is a really important reminder, and this isn't the big picture where I'm trying to go today, but I, I don't want to miss this opportunity to talk about this. Uh, our picture of who God is and our picture of justice will never be complete. We are finite. We won't understand justice. We won't uh, totally understand God until we meet him face to face, right? And so sometimes, uh, and I'm talking about me, so if you feel convicted, we're together. Like, this is me. Sometimes I take all this, this understanding that I have about scripture and all my experience with God, and I kind of have created uh, the God that I understand, right? Uh, and you can go too far down that road and you create an idol, but sometimes instead of us being created in the image of God, we create God in our own image because of our limited understanding, right? God's justice is not exactly the same as our justice. This, this happened twice. This didn't just happen to Ananias and Sapphira. It happened to Achan in, in the Old Testament, right? There's something about this that is very, very serious, right? So we have to allow God to be God. And if we are actually submitting to God, if we actually say that you are God and we make that confession, that you are God, um, I am not, then we have to allow God to be God. If we, if we argue with what he does, and I know in tough times we do that, and sometimes that's a very healthy exercise because God can handle it and he can answer it. But if we start to second guess him, we're doing something entirely different. We're trying to say, God, I can actually do your job better than you can. I think that's pretty dangerous, right? We ask God to move off of his chair because we need to be the one sitting there. I don't think we would ever actually say that, but in a lot of ways, in our heart, we're doing that, right? So this is one of those places, and I can give you a list of stuff in scripture that I'm like, that makes no sense to me. That doesn't seem fair, that doesn't seem just. Rachel and Leah in, in the Old Testament, if you remember that, I've always struggled with all of the babies that were murdered uh, when Jesus had, like Jesus was fleeing from, drawing a blank here, thank you, from Herod. Uh, when Jesus was fleeing from Herod, like all the babies that were murdered, I can't, I can't stand to read that. That's horrible. Like why wouldn't God stop that? And in those moments, it's a moment of reverence. He's God, I am not. And someday it all may make sense. But I do believe that God is always at work. And something that happened here was bad enough that Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. And everything that we need to know about it is actually right here. And it's not a lot. So we, we just have to accept and, and read that and say, God is God, we are not. Does that make sense? It's not a fun story. Um, the reason that I'm preaching on it today is because Dale didn't want to do it. <laughs> you can tell him I said that. Uh, he kind of sort of confessed it, but uh, hey, Jeff, you want to preach? Sure. Um, so anyway, Dale and I did talk about this, and we know that a lot of people just skip it. Like a lot of churches skip it because I don't want to talk about that. And now you see why I didn't want to end with it. So let's move forward. Uh, but the point is that Ananias and Sapphira were doing something independent of what God was doing. 
They were doing something different. They were doing their own thing. Does that make sense? So independence. I don't think independence is altogether a bad thing. And most of you know that that I'm a father. I have two kids, seven and nine years old. And one of my goals as a parent is to raise independent children, right? I want my kids to be confident and I want them to be self-sufficient. Uh, I am the one that gets them ready in the morning because my wife uh, works really hard. She goes to work before, probably before we get up. Don't ask times, it doesn't matter. Uh, but um, in the morning, I don't have to do anything to get my kids ready for school. And I worked very, very hard for this. This was a nightmare for a while. But my kids wake up to their own alarms. They go turn on the TV. That's good parenting, right? Uh, so they, they immediately go to the TV but they get dressed and about 20 minutes before we walk out of the house, I'll call up to them. Uh, they'll come downstairs and sometimes I have to remind them to put their shoes on. That's strange. Uh, they would go to the bus stop in their socks if I wasn't like, hey, wait a second. But they get their shoes on, they pack their backpacks, and then sometimes I have to help get stuff out of the, the high shelves and the, uh, the pantry, but I'll help them get a little bit of breakfast. But for all intent and purposes, they're ready to go. Right? And the idea is, as a parent, I think, is to, is to create these independent many people that uh, are totally self-sufficient, right? So if ever the day comes that I like fall off a cliff uh, and I'm never to be seen again, uh, they're gonna be okay, they can manage. The good news is I'll never get close enough to the edge of a cliff where I'm gonna fall off. So I'm terrified of heights, that's a different story for another time. But I wanna raise independent kids and I think, I think we push everyone in our world, and our society to be independent. We want employees who are independent. We don't want somebody that we have to hold their hand and explain everything as we go, right? We want somebody that will just get the job done, right? In school, um, I'm seeing more and more with my kids that it's a lot of you're gonna do this on your own. We're gonna give you some tools, you'll figure it out, right? In grad school, it was mostly that. Like, we would listen to a lecture, but then nobody's watching over me. I don't have to turn in a bunch of assignments. I may have three assignments, but, you know, due at the end of the quarter, and they were nightmarishly long and uh, no sleep for a week and all of that kind of stuff. But nobody was watching over me. You just, just get it done, right? You're a big boy. You're a big girl. Get it done. We want to raise independent people. We want independent employees. We want independence. And we're taught, trained, and encouraged to be independent people who are strong, self-sufficient, and really people that have it all together, right? I can do this. I don't need any help. I got it. Isn't that what we're going for? Weakness, then, should be hidden. We should never be weak. And if we are, we don't talk about it. And if you ever have to ask for help for any reason in your life, you failed. We believe that. We really do. We act that way. And the church is absolutely not immune to this way of thinking. I'm not talking about Cypher. I'm talking about the church, Church Universal. And ultimately what we find as we become more and more and more independent, we don't need anybody else. And we become really lonely. We have a bunch of lonely people all together in the same room. That's strange, isn't it? Let's go back and look at uh, chapter four. And I'm gonna back up one verse uh, to verse 31. Uh, in the first part of Acts chapter four, the apostles get in trouble for preaching Christ. 
eventually they get released and then they begin to pray for boldness. Verse 31 says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This manifestation of the Holy Spirit brought great power in their ability to witness. They were bold, right? And now as we we start on verse 32, we read and see that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit brings about great power in their deeds. Here we are. So verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Have you ever known this kind of person that would just give you the shirt off their back? Right? They're just super generous, and anything you need, they'll bend over backwards to help you out. Uh, I know a few of them, and they're my favorite people, and I try to spend as much time around them as I possibly can, right? Because that's fun to have those people in your life, people that are supportive and would do anything for you. Had everything in common. What's mine is yours. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I hope that somebody somewhere someday says, Oh, Cypher Christian Church, great grace was upon them all. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And again, this isn't, this isn't some kind of like national program. This is the church. This is the church taking care of its people, right? And that doesn't mean that the church can't reach out and take care of other people. But the church really lived in community. Everything was in common. And if the Holy Spirit led, it was no obligation whatsoever. But if the Holy Spirit led, people were selling stuff and bringing the money and giving it to Peter and saying, hey, do whatever you need to do. And do you know what it doesn't say in here? It doesn't say there was a ceremony where when somebody was going to help me fix my car, um, that they, the church came to me, the apostles came to me and said, this is a gift on behalf of Dale Smith. Like they weren't telling people where it came from. They were just doing it because it didn't matter because they had all things in common. What's mine is yours. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to give this money to the apostles. The apostles will pray and, and, and the Holy Spirit will lead and they'll do whatever needed to be done. This sounds like a nice place to be, right? This sounds like a really great community to be a part of. And then Luke writes about the good example as opposed to Ananias and Sapphira who forever will be known as the bad example in this account. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, and if you guys remember Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, that's him, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So people would voluntarily follow the leading of the Spirit to sell their homes, land, give to the apostles for the purpose of caring for the community. I had a, there was a time in my life, we'll say 2004, it was late 2004, and it's a long story for another time, it's really long, and um, it wasn't a good time for me. The bottom line is it was awful. I had everything taken away from me. 
I was stripped down to nothing. Just awful, awful, awful time. And the church that I was working at split for the, the second time and there was not enough money to pay me and I didn't want to be there anymore anyway and I didn't have a job and I'm living in this apartment, this small apartment, I don't have a lot of stuff and um, I'm just miserable, totally miserable. And I need to find a job because I still have to pay bills. Also, I'm depressed and I don't want a job. I don't want to go to work. I walked out of an interview because the guy was like, why do you want this job? This really happened. I'm like, I don't want the job. I was like, hey man, have a great day. I'm like, I'm miserable. And you can't change that by making me do work. Like that's not going to fix it. Uh, and I was, I was in great need, right? I got, I got a lot of phone calls every day uh, from like the bank because my car payment hadn't been paid. So I had friends, I guess, people that I talked to all the time. Uh, but it was, guys, it was just bad. And I kind of laugh about it, but um, not just real bad, not good. And I always had, um, had enjoyed being able to do things for other people, right? And my favorite thing to do was to do like, um, if I knew somebody needed something, I would put money in an envelope and I would leave it anonymously somewhere, right? And then God and I could go and have fun talking about it, right? And then I would hear them later and they would say things like, oh man, praise God, like this happened. And I never felt ownership of that. I'm like, this was an opportunity, see a need, meet a need. Uh, and I was excited to be a part of that, right? And I, I guess I didn't see the pride involved in there because there wasn't a ton of it, but it was there because when the tables were turned and I needed that kind of stuff, it's, it was humiliating and it was embarrassing. And people would be like, I want to help. And I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. I'm totally fine, you know. Uh, what are you doing for dinner tonight? Don't worry about it. You know, I'm, I'm good. I'll eat the rest of the ramen from yesterday. It's good, it's good, right? But stuff started to happen. I can remember taking, uh, I left Young Life one night. I was, I was volunteering with Young Life and uh, all the leaders would go out to eat afterwards and talk about how ridiculous the students were and, you know, we'd roll our eyes together as, as a group and I took some of the leaders with me to the restaurant and uh, then they got rides from there to go home. But when I got back to my apartment, um, there was money in the back seat of my car. And I can remember like just ugly cry kind of situation. I like couldn't get in the apartment fast enough. And, but in that moment, I, I didn't care where it came from. I didn't want to know which leader left 40 bucks in my car. And 40 bucks is a million bucks in some of those situations, right? I was the richest man on the planet. And all I could say was, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Right? In that time, I learned that I couldn't depend on myself, obviously. Right? And it wasn't about me depending on other people to do stuff. It was about depending on God. And, and it didn't matter where it came from. Right? Because we're all supposed to be the hands and feet of God. It didn't matter where it came from. I just knew that God was going to provide. Sometimes I had to take a step. I'm never, I'm not saying that you should ever go to an interview and tell them you don't want the job and walk out, right? That's a bad move. That was wrong. But sometimes you have to, like, you have to put out your hand to receive it, right? And that's hard sometimes. It's super hard to do. But we have to depend on God, be totally, totally dependent on God. This idea of independence, again, leaves us, leaves us lonely, right? We're all by ourselves, And the truth is... <laughs> 
I don't care who you are, how smart you are, how high up you are, you are in your company, you can't do it all yourself, period. And I don't think anyone in here would raise their hand and say, I can, but we kind of act like we do, don't we? We have to completely depend on God. Dale uh, shared a psalm. I'm going to share that again in a second. But you guys, you guys are probably familiar with Psalm 23. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. So what that means is with God as our shepherd, we don't need to want for anything. There's nothing else we need. He's going to take care of it. We can depend on him. Right? I used to think when I was a kid, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm like, why don't I want God as my shepherd? Like, it didn't make sense to me, right? What it's actually saying is, we're not going to need anything if he's the shepherd. He's going to provide, but we have to depend on him. Stop trying to do it all yourself. Psalm 131 is my favorite, favorite scripture in in all the Bible, and Dale uh, used it last week. So you guys will learn it soon, because we'll we'll do it every week for the next month. But it says, my, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. It talks about being arrogant, right? Uh, I do not concern myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. I don't know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, how I'm going to get my next meal, all these things that are, that are kind of smaller or whatever, but even the big stuff, like how are we going to get through this? How is this ever going to be made right? Like, we, we concern ourselves with huge stuff. The psalm is saying, I don't, I don't concern myself with those things. But instead, I've calmed and quieted my soul. That's where I want to live. I want to live with a quiet and calm soul, not worried about stuff, not wanting for stuff, but like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my spirit within me. It's not talking about a child that's with its mother because the child needs milk. The child is just content to be with its mother. Isn't that beautiful? Just content to be in the presence of its mother. That's my soul within me. I'm just content to be with God. Right? I'm dependent on him. I don't have to do it all myself. That weight is off our shoulders. We can depend on God. Amen? So we don't strive for weakness, but we become aware of it. The book of John, uh, and I think in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he talks about this as well, maybe in Revelation, but John is the author of all those books. He talks about walking in the light, right? And that's in the light of Christ. But here's the thing with the light. You guys ever had a bad picture because of lighting? (laughs) The picture wasn't bad. It was real. That's really what you look like. The light just exposed it. Does that make sense? (laughs) Right? When we walk in the light... It exposes things. We have to be transparent. You can't have a spotlight on you and hide something. Doesn't that make sense? When you walk in the light, you can see everything. Right? All, the, all the little wrinkles are now for the whole world to see. Right. So we walk in the light. It reveals everything. Uh, I have a, a friend, uh, one of my professors from Fuller. His name is Matt, and I, I love Matt so much. I've learned so much from Matt. But he was talking, I don't even remember the context of this, but it was one of those moments where like tunnel vision and like it all clicks for me. He was talking about, and he's, he's in recovery, a uh, great, great guy. And he's talking about how um, as he was becoming sober, 
all these things going on. He was a pastor. He was a professor at Duke University. That means he's smarter than all of us, right? And was just laid bare that he'd made a wreck of his life. And he found uh, an ear that he could, he felt comfortable with, like a friend that would listen to him. And he said, the day came where uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I sat down with him and I told him everything. I'm like, okay. And he's like, no, 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 everything. I'm like, got it, everything. He's like, no, 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 no. I no longer had even one tiny secret in my life. I stepped into the light for real for the first time and I've never looked back. And I was so free in that moment. How powerful is that, right? We depend on God. We say, look, I'm just gonna step in here to the light. It's messy, it's ugly, but I'm gonna depend on you. So for believers, this idea of independence gets completely turned upside down. We are dependent. We need to be dependent. We strive for dependence on God. So there's the, here's the three words that I want you to think about this week. Trust, submission, and weakness. I want you to think about them, maybe talk about them with your spouse, talk about them with your friends, but just spend some time even in your prayer time thinking about considering these words, trust, submission, and weakness. Trust. Trust is a humble stance where you don't depend just on yourself. You really trust God. It's not about you doing everything. You trust that God is actually the one in control. This is something that takes practice. It's not something you're like, you're right, now I trust God. It's going to take practice. You're going to want to pull that, that, um, that trust back and be like, I'm actually going to keep part of the trust in myself because I still have to do, right? So it's, it's a process. It's something that you practice, but trust a humble stance in which you do not depend only on yourself. Submission. We're terrible at this. We're terrible at this in every area of our lives. But we surrender our will and accept God's. Right? Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? What Jesus prayed? Not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus submits to the will of the Father. Right? And so that can become part of our prayer life. Not my will, but yours be done. And finally, we have to be okay with the weakness. We all have blind spots. We all have weak spots. That's normal. There's a quote, um, Ira was telling me about this. I'm like, man, I'm stealing that. So it's from a Bible study actually on judges. And the the guy that said this, his name is J.D. Greer. And I love, love this quote been wrestling with this all week, talking about weakness. If dependence is the objective, weakness is an advantage. If dependence is the objective, weakness is an advantage. Weakness can actually be a good thing, right? That's part of stepping into the light and walking in the light and depending on God. We have to allow ourselves those weak moments. We don't try and hide them. Don't try and cover them. We just depend on God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we confess this morning collectively as a, as a church body that we don't have it all together. Father, we are weak. And as hard as we try to be independent of others and, and even to be independent of you and do things on our own and act like we don't need you, we do need you. 
Father, may we step into the light. May we finally see ourselves as we really are. And Father, we know that that you will meet us there and that you will care for us and that we can, like a weaned child with its mother, just rest, like we can find rest for our soul. Father, and that we we won't live in want, that you'll cause us to lie down in the meadow in your presence. Father, teach us, help us to surrender and depend on you and stop depending on ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna take communion uh, and our servers are gonna come forward and prepare the stations. When you come forward this morning, someone's gonna hand you a piece of bread and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Then you'll dip the bread in the cup and they'll say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Uh, Know that that, that act, And what that act symbolizes is that first step in dependence, saying that I need what you did on the cross. I can't do it on my own. I need you. So as you do that today, as you take communion, whether you take it up here, you take it back to your seat and pray and think about it for a minute and take it, just know that this is the first step in dependence, is this confession, that you are God, I am not, and I need what you did on the cross. Amen. Uh, Come forward. Where the scripture tells us that they had everything in common, it wasn't just money and it wasn't just stuff that they could share, right? One of the things that we have in common is our burdens, right? And it's just life stuff. And I don't want you to walk that road alone, right? That's the purpose of community. So we're going to have prayer partners up here and we'll have some in the back. If there's anything you're carrying that's too heavy, uh, come forward and talk to one of our prayer partners. They'll pray with you. Right? We want to participate in that. We want to help you carry those burdens, whatever it is. And maybe you've never taken that step and stepped into the light and become dependent on God. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard about that. We would love to talk to you a little bit more about what that means. So come forward and ask questions. We would love to answer the questions and help you and walk with you as you step into the light. And we'd love for you to come and visit with our prayer partners. Amen. May you find this week the strength and the courage to step into the light where you will find a loving God ready to embrace you and hold you in his arms. Go and walk in the light. Have a great week.